Concordia Publishing House's spring warehouse sale is both online and in-store. Take advantage of discounted prices on many of the items you hear promoted on Issues Etc. from Friday, May 3rd through Monday, May the 6th. You'll find major cost savings on books, music, Bibles, educational resources, and more. Concordia Publishing House's spring warehouse sale, cph.org and 3558 South Jefferson in St. Louis. Concordia Publishing House's spring warehouse sale, May 3rd through the 6th. The hymn, Salvation Unto Us, has come. Those words stand out. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone. And we often just kind of mash that down into the sola, Christ alone. The Reformation is famous for those solas, Christ alone, Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone. That's what they're really all about. It does summarize nicely, but I've become acutely aware over the last decade or so that if you reduce Reformation theology down to simple, quippy little sayings, sometimes your theology comes out, well, not just simple, but simplified to the point of mischaracterizing what Scripture actually teaches. What about the phrase, Christ alone? Is it a slick marketing phrase, or is it something more profound? Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're going to be talking about that simple two-word phrase, Christ alone, Dr. Matt Richard joins us. He's pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota, and author of the book, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? and a recent Bible study for the Lutheran Witness titled Christ Alone. Dr. Richard, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Todd. You say that these two words aren't a slick marketing slogan, but they are the very core of what it means to be Christian. What do you mean by that? Well, it's it's often easy to, uh, as you mentioned before, to take these slogans and uh, just simply slap them up on a banner and, and say, you know, we're Christ-centered. Well, we really have to kind of pull the throttle back and say, well, what do we mean by those two phrases? I mean, there's really, actually not two phrases, but those two words. Uh, when we say Christ, we have to stop and say, well, what do we mean by Christ? Who, who do we believe Jesus to be as the Christ? And then we have to look at that other word, which is a simple word, alone. Well, what does that mean? Do we truly confess Christ and Him alone, or do we put a comma and have all sorts of different expansion packs and addendums and footnotes tied to Jesus as qualifiers? And so it's, it's not as simple as just simply saying Christ alone or, or just saying, man, we're focused on Jesus. We have to really pull that back and say, well, what do we mean by Jesus? Who, who do we believe Him to be? And do we really understand what we're saying when we use that word alone? And so it's much more complex than just simply using a, ling- a terminology that's, that's being tossed around in the modern day and age. This phrase, Christ alone, is entirely exclusive, if I'm understanding you correctly. It is Christ alone and nothing else. If there is anything else, then the whole thing falls apart. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing, is, is it's interesting in visiting with, you know, even in our modern day and age, in our, in our church, 
uh, you can visit with many, many people, and many people will be very, very much all on board with uh, having a, a favoritism towards Jesus. You know, you can talk to even some of the atheists. You know, atheists out there, they'll say, yeah, Jesus was a good person. They'll, they'll affirm Christ. Where the rubber meets the road and where the conflict usually breaks out is when you put that period after Jesus. In other words, when you exclude all these other assumptions and presuppositions with Jesus, that's when when people usually get very defensive. And so it's an exclusionary, it definitely, it's an exclusionary statement, Christ and Him alone. And the reason why the loan is so important is because we would say that Jesus is all-sufficient. And so the reason why we put a period after Jesus and we say Him alone is because we don't need anything else. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus, period. We don't need anything else other than Christ and His shed blood and His resurrection for us. So that period is not to be from a position of being uh, exclusionary from a point of, of trying to offend people. No, it's because we have Christ and He is enough and He's sufficient for us, so therefore nothing else is needed. Why do you think that so many Christians affirm Christ alone? They will affirm that, that simple little statement there. But when you scratch the surface of what they actually believe, it isn't Christ alone. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes what it comes down to is maybe it's a part of the, the Reformation. So we tend to have, you know, in our, in our, in our day and age in the Protestant Church, a, a sense where, you know, we want to be on the, the quote-unquote right side of history, so Luther and the Reformation and so forth, the Solas. So yes, we affirm them. But then again, when, when you peel that back and you start really looking at it and, and just exactly what is being said, we learn real quickly that, that we are a bunch of idol makers. We have our own agendas, our own projects, our own things that we aspire to, and we, we tend to just tack that on to Jesus. So we take Jesus and we uphold him as being the sufficient one, and then we add our little expansion pack of our own agendas upon him. Uh, in order to get our foot in the door. Our, our, our old Adam, our sinful nature, cannot stand the, the aloneness of Christ, that it's Him all-sufficient. Our, our sinful nature wants to always have that foot in the door to not only participate in our salvation, uh, but to, in a sense, take credit for it. And so the Christ and Him alone is very offensive to our sinful old Adam, our sinful nature, and it's very, very offensive um, altogether to, to many of the theologies out in the marketplace these days as well. So let's do exactly what you suggest we do, which is take this simple two-word phrase apart and very carefully define both of those words, beginning with Christ. Where would you begin scripturally to say, okay, who is it we are saying is all-sufficient for our salvation? Well, it's, it's a good question that was asked, you know, in Matthew chapter 16. We have Jesus, you know, he asks the disciples, you know, he says to them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that, that you know, I am? Who, who is Jesus? And the disciples, you know, they list off of the list, well, you know, some say, well, you know, you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks to the disciples, and he says this very, very, very awesome question, well, who do you say that I am? And that is, I would say, perhaps one of the most profound questions that any Christian could contemplate and answer for themselves, and answer as a confession of, who do I believe Jesus to be? And what we hear is this great confession from the Apostle Peter. He makes this profound confession, and he says, you know, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And, and, and this bold confession, and Jesus says, you know, this is essentially paraphrasing Jesus. This is a, a wonderful confession. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter, but this is a revelation given to you. And so he affirms him in that confession of who Christ is. And what's really actually quite unique is we look in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, 
we go on a little bit further into the text, and we see Jesus kind of uh, fleshing out a little bit more exactly what it means to be the Christ, that the Christ is going to be the one that's going to suffer and die and bleed and rise, ultimately for these forgiveness of sins for the, for the world. So, so he, he paints this picture of himself, not only is he the Christ, the Messiah, but he's going to be the one that's coming to suffer and bleed and die for humanity. And, and as, as we can see in that text, Peter, you know, he, he gets the confession of Christ, but that bleeding and dying part, Peter kind of struggles with that. And you can see the um, idolatry in Peter, where he kind of pushes back against Jesus, where the bleeding and dying part is just a little bit too much for Peter. Why is it so important to take note of Christ's words to Peter there before we get to his, I guess we could call it a flawed Christology, deeply flawed Christology, when he affirms that this, he has answered the question right, at least initially, but he did not do it of his own will or power. Why is that so important? Well, I mean, if, when it comes down to it, you know, who we say Jesus is, it's, it's not open for debate. I mean, that's, that's something we have to keep in mind. We're, we're, we're so driven in our culture, in our modern-day culture, to have the personal opinions of people affirmed and, and what we think and what we believe. And, I mean, uh, unfortunately, not trying to be too harsh, but you look to many Bible studies, the question will be asked, well, what does this verse mean to you? Well, that's not the right question. It's what is this verse saying? What is this verse saying to you? Not what does it mean to you. It's what is this verse saying? So the, the point is, it's, it's the identity of Jesus is not defined by our own opinions, our own thoughts. It's declared to us in the scriptures, in the word. It's something that's revealed to us. So it's apart from us and outside of us. So it really doesn't matter what Matt Richard thinks about Jesus, or what my opinion is. It's who Jesus says to Matt Richard who Jesus is according to the scriptures, who he confesses himself to be. And that's exactly what Peter is doing. He's confessing Christ, not on the basis of his own opinion, but he's confessing Christ on the basis of revelation, what what has been revealed to Peter. Then, coming to that point you had mentioned before, we see very quickly, immediately, that while Peter has kind of put Jesus in the right category, he still does not grasp what it is the Christ has come to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I mean you look at the disciples, and, and, you know, you have to have some sympathy for the disciples. I mean, they're with Jesus, and there's a lot of hype. I mean, if we can imagine being with Jesus, and there's literally thousands of people uh, listening to him teach, and he's moving towards Jerusalem, there's a part of you, of, of any person, that if they were there at that time, you'd be rather excited thinking, you know, all of these great things that are going to happen, and probably the last thing in your mind is going to be bleeding and dying and suffering on a cross. But that's what Jesus does. He reveals to them exactly kind of what that definition of the Christ looks like. And, and he, he looks to them and he tells them that he must undergo great suffering. He says uh, later on in, in chapter 16, he says that he has to go undergo great suffering at the hands of the uh, religious leaders of that time, and that he would be killed and then on the third day be raised again. And so this definition of what the Christ looks like is that he's not going to be sitting on top of some great throne in Jerusalem, ruling and taking over the Roman Empire, but no, he's going to be suffering and bleeding and dying from the Roman Empire and the people as well, being disgraced on the cross, suffering for the sins of the world. So it's quite contrary to what the uh, maybe the expectations were at that time. So Peter is in this maybe all-too-common position of knowing by, by a gift of the Holy Spirit, by God's revelation— who Jesus is, but still not yet fully understanding or grasping what this kind of Christ is going to do and be. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, and, and really what this is, is this is the essence of uh, what we call idolatry. Um, idolatry is really sneaky because what idolatry does is it takes, you know, things that are biblically true, and then it just, if you think of a person that's maybe going to craft an idol out of a piece of wood, you grab the wood itself, and then you take a chisel and a hammer, and you start taking apart ways that you, things on that wood that you don't like, that don't appease you, and you craft and you shape and you mold that idol into the image. And typically that image is the image of yourself, what, what is appeasing to your eye. And we do the same thing with Christ. You know, we'll, we'll grab a hold of Jesus, but then ever so subtly and so sneakily, uh, idolatry sneaks in and we start kind of like that um, idol creator. We, we take a chisel and that hammer and we start taking away things of Christ that don't necessarily, you know, suit our own fancy. And before you know it, we've, we've refashioned Jesus into a Savior that is more palatable for ourselves, something that we can embrace, because frankly, we don't want to have a Savior that's interrogating us. We don't want to have a Savior that's above us. We'd rather have a lapdog. We'd rather have a Savior that we can put in our back pocket and that we can just kind of tote around to bid and to do our will for us. Is it safe to say that at least at that point, Peter is confessing, once pressed on the point, a crossless Christ? Oh, yeah. I mean, and this is, I mean, you think about this. I mean, just the reaction of Jesus, too, in Matthew 16. You know, he says to him, you know, he, he, you get this impression where, where he says to him, he said, you know, Peter, upon this great confession that you just made, uh, this great confession of me being the Christ, the gates of Hades, they will not prevail against this. I mean, this is just a profound confession. And then the next part, we see, you know, Jesus telling him, you know, get behind me, Satan. I mean, it's just a huge, huge shift in, in, in how Jesus is approaching Peter. And the reason why Jesus is so harsh is because Peter is getting it so absolutely wrong. It is indeed a crossless Christ. And once we have a crossless Christ, we, we have created again an idol. We refashion Jesus into the image of what we wanted to be for us and for our agendas. And then rather him serving us by dying and bleeding and rising for our sins, well, then he can be a number of any other thing that we want, maybe a helper to help us have more happiness or to give us a better parenting skills and so forth and all that nonsense. We're talking about the simple two-word phrase, Christ alone. Dr. Matt Richard is our guest, author of the book, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? Twelve False Christ. You can go into far more depth in this book than our current conversation has time to cover. He talks about the false Christs that are all too common in Christianity and outside Christianity. Find out more about this book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Listen On Demand. Look for Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up by Dr. Matt Richard. Or you can call Concordia Publishing House and order it from them, 1-800-325-3040. 1-800-325-3040. After answering the question, Who is this Christ? We have another question posed by the phrase Christ alone. Is this Jesus enough. Nicholas von Amsdorf was the only nobleman in Luther's inner circle, yet few people today have ever heard of him. Learn more about one of the first evangelical bishops in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for April, Nicholas von Omsdorf, champion of Martin Luther's Reformation. You can browse before you buy at issuesetc.org 
or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040 and request the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Nicholas von Omsdorf. Throughout the 50 days of Easter, sacred music for the world. LutheranPublicRadio.org Listen 24-7 to sacred music for the Easter season. LPR, LutheranPublicRadio.org Putting Christ back into Christian radio, you're listening to Issues Etc., The LCMS Youth Gathering is the Lutheran Federal Credit Union Ministry of the Month. During April, if you open a Lutheran FCU loan to meet your financial needs, or if you use your Lutheran FCU credit card for a qualifying amount of purchases, Lutheran FCU will give you cash back and give that same amount of money to the LCMS Youth Gathering. Learn more at LutheranFCU.org. Lutheran Federal Credit Union. Good for you, good for the church. LutheranFCU.org Nadia Bowles-Weber calls for a sexual reformation in her latest book, Shameless. How does her reformation compare with the truths rediscovered during the 16th century Reformation? I've written a review of Shameless in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button on the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Pastor Andrew Abraham details his journey from Catholic priest to Lutheran pastor. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking with Dr. Matt Richard, author of the book, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? about the phrase, Christ Alone. Matt, before the break, we were talking about kind of the basic definition of how Christ confesses himself, in essence. He's the one who tells us who he is. He reveals himself. Why is it all important that having laid that foundation, we go on and say he is fully sufficient? What he has done is sufficient and nothing needs to be added to it. Yes, because what we what we say afterwards can then subtract from what we had just said. And so we can confess Christ bleeding, dying, suffering, rising for us for the forgiveness of our sins. But then we can ever so slightly, just very simply, you know, stated, we can put that comma or we can put dot, dot, dot in our, our theology. And then we have a whole backload of information that we can have that, that by the time we're done with it, we can depreciate everything we just said about Jesus. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting, it's like when, when you listen to people talk about Jesus, and especially when I do, and when I listen to sermons, when they confess Christ, I always wait, and I'm always waiting for some if, and, or but to come after that, and then the whole theology that's built on the backside of, of Christ. And so we've got to be very careful with that. We don't shift the anchor of our hope from Christ to something that comes after, because when we do that, then we're not having Him and Him alone. So where do you begin scripturally to demonstrate that, and this is something that I believe the Apostle Paul deals with many times in many places, as he is preaching Christ and him alone, where do you begin scripturally to demonstrate that Christ is all-sufficient? Well, there's, there's several places, but the, the one place that I find that I keep on returning to is the uh, book of Colossians, 
And in the book of Colossians, you have, you know, quite a few different uh, heretical things going on with the church there. Um, you know, they had some angel worship, they had uh, the secret knowledge, this Gnosticism, they had a, a reliance on human wisdom. But, but one of the things that really sticks out in the book of Colossians is that they depreciated Christ, and so they de-emphasized him. And so if you look at chapter 2 of Colossians, it's very, very, very quite, quite profound what Paul says. He says in verse 6 there, he says, As you therefore have received Jesus Christ, then he says this, Continue to live your lives in him. And then he goes on to say, Rooted and built up in him, that is Jesus, and established in the faith. And what's actually quite profound, not to get too technical here, but in the original language, in the Greek language of that time, these verbs are in the passive voice. In other words, he's telling them to be rooted, to, for them as individuals to let themselves be rooted in Christ, to have that be done to them. And that happens, namely, through the Word and sacraments, as we are constantly reestablished and placed in Jesus. Because the fact of the matter is, we as Christians, like the old hymn uh, says, that we're prone to wander, we're prone to leave the God that we love, and so we're, we're, we're so easily distracted by the glitter of life and the glitter of, of what's going on maybe in another church down the street. So then we become doubtful, is Christ really enough? And then we, we drift ever so slightly to other things that are flashy and glittery, and the next thing you know, we are not being rooted in Christ. And so we're always having to be returned back to Jesus in repentance, confessing our sin, repenting and sharing about how we have drifted to other theologies, and repenting and coming back to Christ as our only hope, so that we might be rooted and built up and established in Him. So this is, those passive verbs emphasize all the more, I'm not going to say our lack of participation, because we certainly participate in a passive way in Christ, but our lack of contribution to the whole affair. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in fact, I remember once sitting in a sermon, and I was not in a Lutheran church, but I heard the pastor get up, and his whole sermon was, was three steps in order to strengthen your faith, and he goes on to talking about ways that you can actually, by your own willpower, root yourself in Jesus, and ways that you can um, actually build yourself up in Christ. And he preached this whole section all in the active voice verbs. And so he did it completely backwards. The point being that Paul's making is that we don't move away from Jesus. We are always staying in Christ. And, but the, the sin that we commit is that we try to leave Christ. We try to move away from Him. And so repentance is acknowledging our sin by the way of the Ten Commandments, seeing our sin where we have failed in thought, word, and deed, um, how we've failed, that we deserve the wrath of God, that, that God would be completely just to, to smite us and burn us and send us to hell, we know that by the Ten Commandments, and then we are to be repent of that sin and to be returned back to the hope of the gospel that Jesus is for us, and that we have forgiveness, life, and salvation in Him alone, Christ indeed alone for us. Talk, if you would, about the role there of the preaching of God's Word and of receiving the sacraments in this being rooted and maintained in Christ alone. When it comes down to Christ, we are always, I think of it this way, that we're always beggars needing free, warm bread. I heard a pastor once say that line. He said that, that evangelism is nothing more than just going out to other beggars and telling them, come receive free, warm bread. And so the Word and the sacraments are our sustenance. We are constantly clinging. Faith always clings to Christ. Faith is not just a, an abstract term that's left by itself. Faith is always connected to 
someone, which is Jesus. So our faith is clinging to Jesus, clinging to his word and the sacraments. And so this is the importance for us to always come back every Sunday, every day, coming back to Christ and his word to receive that forgiveness, life, and salvation. In fact, we even pray this, you know, when we have communion. At the very end of communion in our divine service, we we thank the Lord that he has strengthened our faith towards him and that our love for one another. And so we're always being strengthened by Christ and his gifts so that we might have faith that is strengthened and also that we might be able to love our neighbor. And then we go throughout the week and we make a mess of it, as we always do, and we come back again on Sunday and we confess that we are sinners in thought, word, and deed. We beat our chest. We confess our sins boldly. We don't excuse our sins. We don't justify our sins and we don't write them off, but we confess them to Christ. And then we hear for Christ's sake that we are forgiven yet again. And then in that we are forgiven. We are strengthened again in our faith. We're given the Lord's Supper, reminded of our baptism. And then we say, yes, Lord, we are going to go back out in our vocations whatever they might be, and we will serve you and serve our neighbor with a joyful heart because we know where we belong. We belong with you. And then, as always, you know, throughout the middle of the week, we will mess it up yet again, and thus the reason to go back to church again and again and again to be strengthened in that faith and to be reminded who we are in Christ. What would you say to someone pastorally who says, well, I believe who Christ is and and I believe that he, he is all-sufficient, and that's why I don't have to go to church, because Christ is all-sufficient. What would you say to them? Well, I mean, I, I think what, what we can end up doing is we have to be very, very careful, and that this spot where we have to be careful is that we don't separate Jesus from His Word. And in Jesus' Word, He calls us to meet regularly as Christians. And so, so and this happens many times where people say, you know, I'm, a, I'm all for Jesus, but then when it comes to His Word, when we read His Word, well, that's something else. We can't separate Jesus from His Word. I mean, He is the eternal Word, Christ Himself. And so Christ calls us in His Word to regularly meet together. It's also part of the Third Commandment, that the Third Commandment says that we're not to despise the Word of God, but to regularly hear it and, and to partake of the Word, to receive the sacrament. And so somebody that would say that, I would say, well, you're disagreeing with Christ in His Word, and then if they say, well, that doesn't matter, I'm like, well, no, wait a minute. Now you've separated Jesus from His Word, they're one and the same. You can't separate the Word from Christ, and you cannot separate Christ from His Word. So what is the great comfort, with about 30 seconds here, of not only having but believing Christ alone? Yeah, I mean, the great comfort is assurance. I mean, it's absolute assurance. I mean, and this is the problem. I mean, the problem is we have three things going against us as Christians. We have our old Adam that is constantly going against us, our old Adam that wants to lead us away from the cross, we have the world with all of its foolish and just frankly stupid ideologies that are always poured in our ears, uh, being sold to us as a bill of goods. And then we have the devil who's seeking to kill, steal, kill and steal and destroy our faith. So we have all three of these that work against us. And so we need Jesus. We need Jesus every single day. And we need to hear Christ poured into our ears through his word. Remember that he has poured himself upon our head and our heart and our baptisms and then to have Christ laid on our tongues and into our bellies so that we have assurance and know who we are as Christians in this life and then all the way to the very end so that we might die in the faith, that blessed death in Christ, to be partaking of the heavenly feast someday when Christ comes to take us back home again. Dr. Matt Richard is pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota, author of the book, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up?, and a recent Bible study 
for the Lutheran Witness titled Christ Alone. The Lutheran Witness interprets the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. The person and work of the Holy Spirit is the theme of next month's issue. Learn more at cph.org witness, cph.org witness. Dr. Richard, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Todd. That was great. Tomorrow on Issues Etc., it's This Week in Pop Christianity with Pastor Chris Rosebro. We'll also be answering the question that Luther poses in the small catechism, how can water do such great things? It's a question that deals with the power of baptism. Pastor Paul McCann, Concordia Publishing House, will be our guest. It is either a Christ only, Christ alone, or you're on your own. Christ alone is all the comfort. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. What makes Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church in Freeburg, Illinois so special? Our new members talk about the family atmosphere, the welcoming people, and the outstanding music. But most importantly, you'll be confronted with your sin and comforted with the assurance that Jesus has removed that sin so that you can live each day as his baptized and forgiven child. Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church is at 612 North State Street in Freeburg, Illinois. Sunday worship is at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible classes at 1020 a.m. Call 618-539-5664.